Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From the Backburner podcast is sponsored by Birch Barrel. Uh, I'm joined today by Jamie Tegan, uh, chef extraordinaire there at Birch Barrel. So welcome, <laughs> Jamie. Thanks, Jonathan. How are you? <laughs> awesome. Hey, Good. I wanted to tell you about something. Uh, cooking with live fire sometimes for some folks can be difficult. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of avoid it uh, for a lot of things. Um, usually fire yeah. control is one of the, the big issues, but the birch barrels solve that with the, the, the adjustable fire pan. But one of the other yeah. things that I hear from folks a lot is um, their inability to start a fire. Um, whether, right. you know, it, it, with any kind of uh, live fire cooking, uh, do, have you guys had it found any solutions for that? Yeah. I mean, it's when I first got the birch barrel, it was, I had an issue starting a fire. I started with this itty bitty, like little kindling and a little bit of paper. And I'm like, why is this not working? And then I called Corey, our COO. And he's like, Jamie, you got to build it big and then you'll get a great coal base. And so like, I was scared of starting a fire. It's just not going to work. I'm not going to be able to cook with it. Um, but yeah, like I completely understand that it is an issue. Um, some solutions is really building that nice coal base, you know, having your paper or fire starter, having some small kindling, um, pieces of wood to start with, and then having your charcoal, whether it's briquettes or your lump charcoal, um, will make a huge difference. Um, one thing that I've really grown to love though, in the past like two weeks is using one of those chimneys. Um, they are awesome. Um, and it's not cheating. So, (laughs) (laughs) and so, I mean, people that are like kind of scared to like, Oh, I can't get coals. I, I fail at this. Like a chimney is great. You're not cheating, but you know, like what I said before, using a good fire starter and having some dry wood, I mean, will make a world of difference. I can highly recommend a chimney myself because I use one. Yeah. I don't consider it cheating. Yeah. So, uh, if you're, if, 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 when you're cooking, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you folks out there want to want to get your own birch barrel, um, you can visit them at birchbarrel.com. You can use the exclusive promo code for the podcast burner b u r n e r for a ten percent discount on the birch barrel. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of of uh, from the back burner, Jonathan Odell. And I'm hanging out here in Missoula, Montana this morning, uh, up here at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. And so for the past two days, um, I've been watching this crew of folks with uh, this, this unique item um, of fire, uh, cooking a lot of food, um, and, and definitely a lot of different foods. And, and who I'm actually talking about today is the folks with Birch Barrel, and I'm joined by... Corey and Jamie at Birch Barrel. Um, and actually, let me let me have you guys introduce yourself. <laughs> Ladies first. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, my name is Jamie Tegan, and um, I 
absolutely love the birch barrel. Um, it's a unique experience. Um, Corey's really good at explaining how it works. Um, but my background, I went to culinary school, um, have been in the industry for a very long time. And my family and I moved to Bozeman and really one of our first, um, experiences with the birch barrel was actually at a river cleanup with BHA. And, um, Corey and Jordan were there cooking on the barrels. We just did the river cleanup and I'm like, I got to come back and talk with these guys. And, we hired you yeah. on the spot. Yeah. On the spot. <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> yeah. And they got me a barrel. I got to check it out, just experience it for myself and on my own and fell in love. And now, yeah, I run the pro channel for Birch Barrel and then also do, I cook for whenever they need me to. <laughs> so sure. that's why we're here this weekend. <laughs> Quality recipe development. Yeah. There you go. Definitely yeah. is a good title. We need to add that to your business yeah. card. Because, I mean, that's legit. We're just like, uh, we should try Jamie? <laughs> Let's try it. Okay. How are we going to yep. do it? So, yeah. My name's Corey. Uh, Corey Pearsall. Uh, I've been with Birch Barrel for a couple years now. I don't have the culinary background uh, that Jamie has, but I definitely appreciate Jamie's culinary background. My dad's a chef, which is what got me into it at a young age. I worked back a house. Uh, at a restaurant, so I think I was 14 doing dishes, uh, and then moved up into the kitchen and was managing, buying, um, scheduling, uh, just running it. Definitely not chefy stuff though, right? <laughs> uh, mostly burgers, steaks, ribs on a char. Well, I, I don't know what you would call it. It was gasoline, it was, you know, uh, but it was flame. Um, and so that's always been a part of me is fire, that little bit of fire. But every little boy is kind of a little, little pyromaniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> um, and the, for me, my career journey went to Sika eventually. So I worked for a company called Sika Gear for about eight years. Um, and so that connection to the process, right, going out, harvesting, bringing it back, self-processing. Uh, when I was introduced to the birch barrel, it just came kind of full circle for me. And so I got to combine my passion for the outdoors with my passion for cooking and culinary. Uh, so yeah, here I am with birch barrel now. So, so let's step back into that for a second. Um, so what was the, the impetus or origin for a, a fire barrel, um, to, you know, cook food because so from from my perspective as i see this thing you know i immediately see this this kind of thing i'm like okay here's a tripod and all this other stuff and oh. and to me it has kind of a I don't know, almost like an argentine style you know yep. um asado yeah yeah you like you're 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 cooking at least from maybe that um uh, with it. But so, so like, what was the, you know, inspiration? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like what, uh, you know, here's a, so let me, uh, what I'll do is just paint a quick picture for the audience, but anyone that's Googling it right now, cause that's usually what I recommend. <laughs> sure. It's B U R C H barrel, birch barrel. Um, but it, in essence, it's a charcoal or wood fire grill. And the intent of it was to create a more communal atmosphere that would allow us to better connect in a couple different forms, better connect with your friends, uh, but also better connect with your food. Uh, and that's based on the feature set allowing you to really master the heat and participate in it and be more connected with the process. Um, the inspiration for it came from Roby Birch. Um, and really, I don't know if you've ever heard of like a cowboy cauldron. Mm -hmm. um, 
pretty large device, pretty heavy, but something people gather around, right? A fire, think fire pit. Everyone gathers around a fire. And, and he drew inspiration from that, but wanted it to be more movable and not as permanent and something that you could do more with and expand on. So he took inspiration from cowboy culture and took inspiration from Argentinian style cooking, asado style cooking, um, and basically developed this, it is, an asado style grill in a simpler, more compact variation that, you know, you don't have to have 10 feet in your backyard to put up an asado style grill. This is going to fit on your deck. It's not going to do any damage to the wood. So you can set it up ideally anywhere, in the backyard, in the grass, on a deck. Uh, if you're ambitious enough, take it to elk camp, set it up. It just draws you to it like a fire. But it is a grill, in, in essence. It's more about yeah. grilling over an open flame. And so the features that I'm talking about, one, the coal pan allows you to raise and lower your coals so you can raise and lower them right from the beginning i like to say i start with that think about what i'm cooking how i want to cook it so if i'm just doing brats you don't really want a lot of direct heat with brats right super simple uh, you just have some indirect heat maybe lower the coal pan as that dies down maybe raise it up if your buddy shows up an hour late to the party but still expects <laughs> yeah. some hot food right so it it, it kind of simplifies the process but you're still playing with fire, right? Um, and then there's uh, an air vent standard with grills, right? Airflow comes in, comes down from the bottom, feeds your coals. Uh, and then the, you know, the kind of the thing that pulls it all together is the asado aspect of it, which is the lid lowers, locks into your grill grate or your, where your food's sitting, and you can raise and lower it. So if you want to make a quick adjustment, you can. You don't have to wait for the coals to cool down to get to that perfect temperature. You can just raise it up. And when you raise it up, your line of sight changes. You can now watch and observe. So for example, a ribeye steak, cooking ribeye, get a flare up, lower it, lock it, lift it up, cook over that flare up. You just let that flame kiss that steak, get a perfect char, and then I can observe it from underneath. I'm watching that, that sear happen from underneath. Uh, so you become, like I said, I'm going to use the buzzword probably a dozen times here, you become more connected to the process, yeah. um, which was something for him that was important. He's ranched his entire life. And so being involved, being connected, whether you're a hunter, whether you're a fisherman, whether you're a rancher, steward of the land, right, you, you're connected more to the process. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a, after watching both of you work these grills and, and, you know, tear them down, set them up back and forth, <laughs> cook this, cook that. Um, and, and, a, and a lot of different things. I mean, the first thing you'd cooked up was that big hunk of beef. Um, tenderloin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was more fat, but it's tenderloin. So yeah. Yeah. But, so for, for the listeners, I mean, one of the things that, that, that kind of came out, um, you know, as I was hearing you talk, because that's, it, it, it connects to a certain thing. I mean, we were, you were talking to, to some customers when I was talking to Jamie um, about uh, Santa Maria style growing mm -hmm. and, and how that, you know, I mean, that's a very, very specific um, type of, of, of grilling for the most part. Yeah, it's a red, red oak yeah. and it, like it has to be red oak yes. and tri-tip and tri-tip tri yeah. only cut up yeah. piece it's, of meat and stuff yeah. like that. And it's funny that you say that because I used to use the term Santa Maria style as a reference of cooking over an open flame. Oh, yeah. But, but it, it is, is not. It's not. It's a very specific <laughs> yeah. style of cooking a tri-tip. Yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and really only it came around like early 1900s is yeah. when it was super popular. And, and then it really evolved with like using only red oak and all of that type of stuff. And So I don't do a lot yeah. of Santa Maria, it turns out, because we don't have red oak in Montana. <laughs> That's a little harder no, to come by for sure. Um, 
Yeah. So, um, and and you know, of course, I I don't know. I'm I'm I am who I am. I do a lot of homework mm-hmm. on on everything, and so. I went and I was like, okay, I'm, I got to check out this bird. Like, got to go to the website. As you know, uh, as you said, a lot of folks, that's kind of the first thing. All right, let's Google this and all yep. that stuff. Well, so then I went the extra step further and found your YouTube channel. And listeners, I'm telling you this right now. Like, their channel is filled with all kind. There's awesome recipes. There's you know, I mean, there's actual people stuff, yeah. using the thing, <laughs> but. One of the videos that I ran across that like got me super excited um, when I saw, like I had to watch this whole thing and I probably even watched it twice um, just because it was, it was really neat. Um, and, and it's like one of your oldest videos um, mm-hmm. on there, but um, it was the flip-flop method yeah. um, mm-hmm. from the flip-flop guy. And now, now yep. so, so yeah, ex- explain, you know, that kind of what, what was going on there. So, I mean, it, it one Andy Mokel's process and his family heritage and tradition if, if you don't know of him flip-flop guy google it he's got a great videos we're referencing that walks you through the process but it lends itself to it right you've got this very primal experience primitive experience and it, it only feels right to be cooked on over an open flame uh, and so he takes a hindquarter whole hindquarter of a usually of a of a deer uh, white-tailed mule deer or something like that. Or, yeah, I think the know, video was a was a sheep, right? It was a sheep yeah. or, yep. Uh, I think traditionally it came from uh, them doing it with a sheep. Um, but for, you know, us common hunters, deer leg will do. Um, <laughs> uh, and he, he marinades one side, puts it on the grill, and he's got it ripping at about 900 to 1,100 degrees. I mean, it's cranking hot. And then he marinates the top side, and he'll cook that for X amount of time, usually it's a couple minutes, and then he flips it, right? And he shaves that cooked meat off, basically looking for half to be well, a little bit of rare. And then he puts it on some sourdough or bread and yeah. serves it, then marinates it again and flips it over. And he just keeps whittling it down to the bone. And it's probably the most communal activity that you can do um, around fire. It, it's, you got to experience it or try it yourself. Um, uh, that, and and like, I was telling like, so that really, really excited me. You know, like I saw that and I was like, okay, right on. Like this is, I, I love this. So I'm, I'm usually a big proponent. Like when I, I harvest an animal and I start, breaking it down. I, I love big hole cuts. Like, I don't want this thing cut down. Like, you know, if you, a lot of folks take their, their meat to a butcher to have it, you know, and so they end up with, with grind and, and ground meat and steaks and, and, you know, so it's, it's all kind of done for you. And, and, um, uh, the few times I I have a butcher in Arizona who uh, on occasion it's like going, you know, I, I, I happened to be lucky a few years ago and I harvested an elk, but like I had taken a, a good long, period off from work. I think I had like two weeks. And so this elk was down on like day two or day three. And so I had skinned it, you know, dressed it, all that stuff. It was in the back of my pickup truck. And I'm like, okay, it could be over now. Or since it seems <laughs> how I have all this extra time off, it's grouse season. And so, um, I love grouse hunting and I'm <laughs> like, I could drop this off with him mm-hmm. and race up a few hundred miles, you know, about another hundred miles and then go grouse hunting for the next seven or eight <laughs> days, you know, come home with even more, just, yeah. just, just saying. So, um, but he know, like, you know, I come in and, and talk to him and I'm like, okay, 
here's the cuts that I want. Like, here's how I want you to break it down. Like, this is going to yep. be like, you know, say, save me the big ham off the end. <laughs> Don't take the bone out. I need that hole, you know? And, and I, and I've had him do strange things over the years. I'm like, you know, Hey, make me the, make me some, I make me a rack. Like, you know, I want, keep the back strap in. Don't yeah. cut that sucker out. Bone keep the ribs on. Yeah. yeah. Like we're going to, we're going to do these like tomahawks yeah. or you know, yeah. stuff <laughs> like that. It lets you choose what you want to do with uh-huh. it versus having to decide in that moment. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And, and, and I think a lot of hunters don't, you know, if, if you're not processing your own meat and stuff like, like they don't, don't know that there can be other, yeah. there's a whole lot of other cuts. I mean, I, I think now like we're, we're getting a little bit of exposure to some other, cultures you know at yeah. least within the united states where um you know there, there are different cuts um uh picanha uh the yeah. picanha cut which is yeah. a, a very like you don't walk into a normal butcher store and see that here in the united states yeah um, we're starting to though yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's where i yeah. said you know some of these things are kind of coming along where you know the tomahawk really wasn't kind of a, a discussion point other yeah. than you know outside of maybe just a couple high-end restaurants now you know, it's huge it's huge yeah <laughs> so because people are kind of discovering these things yeah. and and so um so yeah the, i mean the moment i saw that video i was like i need to go out and get something right now because like mm-hmm. i need a hindquarter because like i just want to do i want to invite a bunch of people over and yeah. just we're going to do, do the it. flip-flop like yeah. you know and and because yeah you're right i mean that seemed very communal i was i like I said, I'm a huge appreciator of, of whole cuts and like taking an entire hindquarter to just, you know, yeah. serve a bunch of people like, yeah, it, it, it kind of innumerable amount of people. <laughs> I think, you know, that everyone can kind of get a taste or everyone can get full, yep. um, you know, and, and, um, so I was, yeah, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with, with that, um, and then you also have a lot of good, um, other like marketing videos. I mean, the, the, that connection to fire, yep. you know, I think, um, we, fire's definitely primal. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think if you, if you read, uh, Michael Pollan's, uh, work, you know, he talks about how, um, fire first, I mean, fire was the first thing mm-hmm. that we, in terms of the evolution of humans as mankind, like our control over fire, that was, that was the first, yeah. um, in, in that evolutionary process and, and food and cooking and those kind of so, things. Yeah. And, I think he so, would, I believe it's the same person. I'm terrible with names, but where he described, chewing uncooked food takes a lot of time and energy and effort and it it, it allowed us to be more efficient yeah um as human beings as well as you know fire then also created community created language people gathered around it yeah provided us protection at night you know i mean all all those sorts of things so yeah i I don't i don't hardly know anyone who isn't drawn to fire in some form or fashion and, and and all that but um, it's been like just really impressive to see, you know, a lot of the things you guys have been able to do with it and, and my own kind of head spinning aside from, from the flip flop method, like, okay, you know, what, what could I do? Like, um, cause I haven't seen you guys smoke anything yet with it. Yeah. Today we're so smoking. Corey is some, our pit master. He's incredible. Uh, I'm a <laughs> learning pit master, but yes, yeah, so, uh, we've got some beef ribs on today. Beef yeah. uh, short plate ribs. Oh, uh, nice. Some you know in Texas you hear them referred to as dino plate ribs. Yeah. Uh, so just slow and low, and then tomorrow Randy gave me a wolf shoulder, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. front shoulder. So uh, bone in. So it's brining right now uh, in the refrigerator at our Airbnb, and then I'm going to figure out what to do with it. Um, Marcus gave me some bear, uh, rendered bear fat. So, and Randy King last night did a bear fat and butter um, 
mix that I'm pretty sure I'm going to steal that from him <laughs> and, and try to do that to constitute some fat. And I don't know if that constitutes the right word, but anyway, I want to add fat to it, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm assuming wolf is not like bear or bear, bear's got oil in it and actually is a bit fattier than, than what you anticipate usually, but... I don't think wolf is the same way. I've never cooked wolf. I don't really know much about it. So, so I. What's interesting? I, I've I've eaten dog yeah. um, twice in my life mm. um, under different circumstances uh, each time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, to me, it's it's that's it. There's a there's kind of a funny contrast in when you know people. As a hunter, I think sometimes you know people people ask us a lot of the what's the strangest thing you've ever eaten. Mm-hmm. Oh, and sure. I, and I'm always like. Well, okay, that's kind of a loaded question because, <laughs> you know, like what's strange to you. Define strange, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I've, I've traveled a lot of different places all over the world and, and there are things, you know, like that people eat that other, one of the things that that's fun, a lot of the world actually like is disgusted by Americans or at least American hunters because we eat squirrel. They just cannot believe we eat squirrel, <laughs> you know, which is kind of a staple diet in, in a lot of areas yeah. of the country. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you, I, you know, sometimes to the, to the normal person that, I mean, you know, it, it could be a strange deer might be strange, you know, yep. that's cause they've just, they've never had it and stuff like that. But, um, uh, cats and dogs are very funny. Yeah. Um, when when it comes to to people eating those, simply because we have pets, and, and then because we, mm-hmm. we also well, we yeah. have yeah. we have we have pets, yep. you know, domesticated, and we also have wild, yep. um, which is which is very you know. I assume their diets are entirely different. It, it, yeah, I mean, to, I think to some extent, um, uh, you know, I I actually you know a lot of people rave over um, mountain lion or bobcat meat and, mm-hmm. and how it has kind of a sweet taste and all those kinds of things. And then, you know, you, you move to dogs and, and people, you know, it, for me, it's like, I've never eaten one of the wild dogs, coyotes, fox, mm-hmm. um, wolves and stuff like that. But I've had domestic dogs in foreign countries because that's a common, you know, when sure. in Rome, <laughs> you know, okay. it. um, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh it, both Asian countries where I had it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, but it was like, okay, it's, it's on the menu. Like, like we should try it. Yep. Um, you know, and just, just to see, I'm, I'm not, you know, opposed to that and, yep. and stuff, but yeah. So for me, it's funny. I've eaten wild cat, but never domestic, but I've eaten domestic dog and not wild dog. So <laughs> how was it? <laughs> it's, you know, my problem was, is like, I actually, they, they had the, like dogs in cages at one of the places where I was like, it was like, you like big dog or little dog? And I'm like, Wow, um, I didn't know like I could pick. Uh, like this is, I mean, like it just it kind of overwhelmed me a little bit. Wow. Yeah, and, that that and that that would still, be it's different, very right? Strange. Like think about lobster because you do the same thing with lobster, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a different association. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I you know I don't I don't necessarily know that that there's a major difference between Labradors and Chihuahuas, but I'm just you know like texture wise or whatever wise, portion <laughs> about it, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, the wolf would be interesting. Like I'm, 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 I'm excited, excited to see what happens to it. Um, yeah. I want to jump back for a second. Sorry. Yeah. To your whole cuts. I would love to see uh, a list of what you, so the last season, my father-in-law shot an elk quarter mile off the road and my drive to go help him pack it out was we're getting out a whole elk and I don't often get a whole elk right. out of the woods. And I'm like, what do I want? right back to like your, what do, what do I, what do I do? You know, what am I going to ask for? I'd love to see your list. Uh, yeah. I, well, I tend to, most of the thing is, is, and, and 
I think Jamie might be able to agree with me here. When when um, ground meats, when it's fresher, when it, even though the, the meat has been frozen, um, you know, been sitting in there, but you're grinding it fresh prior to, to preparation, to me, I, I think that is a world of difference mm-hmm. um, Agreed. in the end product. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and so that to me is, is I'll have grind packs, but it's not ground yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's okay. Let me, let me add stuff later. And you know, if I need to, yeah. okay, suddenly this is chorizo today or, you know, maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's hamburger or, or yeah, knows, we've done the know. same thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I tend to stay, I, I love a lot of the big cuts. Um, it, mostly because to me in, I think in, in wild game, um, cooking, you know, as, as we've kind of experienced this week. I mean, we had the big field to table dinner last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the cook-off is coming here, you know, tomorrow. And, and, and I've gotten to see kind of, we just have seen this resurgence of wild game cooking and, and where it's kind of, it's, it's being elevated. It's, it's, it's getting more attention. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of front of mind to a lot more folks these days. And people are concerned about their food and where that comes from, all those things. But to me, what's, what's very interesting, um, and I was having this conversation uh, last night with, with a fellow um, chef at the Field of Table event, um, it, you know, um, it's kind of, the, the doors haven't fully been opened for wild game cooking. Yeah. There's a lot to explore. Um, because for a long time in, in, you know, and, and this is just kind of true of, of hunters. They, they had great hunting skills, but the, the kitchen skills maybe were a little lacking. Mm-hmm. And, and so they would, you know, the, I think a lot of the joke of, of those of us who cook wild game a lot is, you know, we, cause we've heard it a thousand times. It's, it's either Italian dressing <laughs> <laughs> marinade yep. or, you know, cream of mushroom soup. Um, yeah. and, 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 and that kind of pot. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. just kind of it. Yeah. Um, or it takes eat, away the flavor or, yeah, or, <laughs> or soaking it in Coke for five yeah. days, you know, Canada goose. I've heard that Canada, Canada goose tastes the best after they soak in Coke for five days and then finally cook it. I'm like, Oh <laughs> Lord. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, but there's, so there's a lot of areas of wild game, um, you know, I, I, I relate this to, to a lot of folks like there's uh, I, I have kind of started down a road of, of understanding uh, charcuterie more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and all that with wild game because we haven't it, obviously charcuterie ha- leans mostly leans heavy with fats and you're dealing with a meat that doesn't have that. Yeah. Uh, to any great extent. So, okay, what what can be done? What does aging look like? What does drying Mm -hmm. out look like? Um, You know, and and I told other people, I said, you could just, you know, if you wanted to explore barbecue, Mm -hmm. pure and simple barbecue with wild game, that's still relatively unopened. I mean, as far as a a can of greatness, you know, and and not everything is going to be great, you know. Um, I think as we all know, you cook games, sometimes you, you know, like, oh, let's try this. I want to experiment. And yeah, that just didn't turn out right. Yep. I've done some ribs, wild, uh, not wild, sorry, uh, mule deer ribs. Some were good, some were real bad. (laughs) Some were like, let's just save this for jerky because it's (laughs) not going to do. And I always relate it, I relate it to to kind of this idea. Um, Think about the cow brisket, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a superior cut of meat in terms of a cow. Um, And a few cultures have used it um, uh, in in different arenas. I mean, uh, the Jewish people, like brisket's a big thing. Um, and, and folks and all that other stuff. And then 
Somewhere along the line, some guy from Texas says, I'm going to throw this in the smoker for hours yep. and hours and hours. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're just going to salt and pepper it. And I'm going to throw this in with the wood for 18 hours. And then I'm going to pull it out <laughs> and I'm going to wrap it in some paper and let it sit for another five hours. And it becomes, it transforms this otherwise not, you know, super, tough. super, yeah, it's, no. it's not a great cut of meat no. until these applications are applied. And like Texas brisket is is divine it is <laughs> you know it's it, and so i think of all these wild game things as well it's like uh, okay you know we're 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 still having to kind of go back and go okay there's these different cuts you know there's the standard cuts backstrap loins uh you know hindquarters front shoulder neck um all that other stuff and it, like what still can be done with these mm-hmm. that because a lot of times some people are applying what we know with b for or, you know, something to game, yep. you know, and sometimes it requires adaptation. Sometimes it doesn't, um, yeah. uh, you know, and especially talking to folks, I mean, certainly a lot of people who understand, um, cooking yeah. in the overall, you know, the fact that Gordon Ramsay can say, okay, you know, 400 degrees sear two minutes per side into the oven for five minutes and it comes out perfect every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why that is, is because every cow that we receive is killed at exactly the same age. It's the same sure. age cow, the same <laughs> cut, you know, out of all this stuff. And what people don't understand, that's where wild game kind of gets funky is, you know, um, I was cooking Sandhill crane last night, which was delicious by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you know, the, the birds that I was cooking, I could have one that's two years old and I could have one that's 25 years old. Yep. You know, very and if different. You, and mm-hmm. if you don't think that, you know, that changes toughness and all that stuff, and that's yeah. where sometimes game just, it's, it, you have to invest time. That's yeah. probably the most important resource because things may not be done in the time frame that you think they are. I mean, it wasn't repeatable as far as like, you know, it, it you know, if I had those two on the grid, and I noticed it last night for sure. I had one <laughs> that I was like, okay, you know, like I was growing three breasts at a time out there on the camp chef. And sure enough, I, I pull them off. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm feeling them. I'm just kind of doing the tenderness test because yeah. some people were asking me, oh, what temperature to pull off? I said, nah, I don't do temperature. <laughs> like I, I'm more of a, a tactile feel. Yeah, you know, same. <laughs> um, just a lot of instinct, a lot of smell. Yeah. Pulled everything off. Seemed like everything was okay. You know, rested it. And then I started cutting this one piece and I was like, oh, okay. Um, you went, a, you got done a little fast <laughs> compared to the other ones. I'm like, do I have a hot spot on my grill? Like what's, yeah. you know, so, yeah. and you know, just for the rest of the night, I was like, okay, everything else is fine. But, yeah. um, it, it's just kind of the way it goes sometimes with wild game. It's, it's, it can be variable challenging. Yeah. Um, you have to have some awareness. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, same thing for me. I had some smaller cuts of backstrap and some bigger pieces of the same, you know, and, exact same thing happened and you just I'm, I'm a touchy-feely person when it comes to that <laughs> stuff and then I let it rest and people at my table are like how did you do that it's like perfect <laughs> but I'm like ah but you didn't see the end part <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, I love that that to me like that that's how I knew kind of I think I was getting better as as as, as a cook was yeah. that ability to to use more of my senses right. in, in, you know, just kind of getting a feel for it. Some, you know, that takes time and practice mm-hmm. and, and kind of, oh, okay, you know, and, and uh, it, 
the smells of things. Like I know mm -hmm. when it's too hot. So or smoking, or yeah. I can I can hear it. Yeah. So the fat rendering, mm -hmm. if it's rendering too fast, I know my temperature is too high. Yeah. And so there's lots of other indicators for you. Mm -hmm. The one thing I have a problem with is tri-tip. Because I can't do the tent, the because it's always so tender right. when you touch yeah. it. You're like, oh, it's still rare. It's still rare. And then you serve it. You're like, oh, look, it's well done. <laughs> so that's, that's the only one that I cannot do by touch. I just learned to pull it off a little earlier yeah. and just let it rest. Yep. And yeah. when you, when you, when you don't think it's done, it's done. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. It's kind of like someone someone told me once in the uh, I was talking to somebody in the South um, in the United States. We were we were talking about feral hogs. And uh, he told me, he said, he said, when you think you've got a problem with feral hogs, like you're way past the point. <laughs> it's, it's beyond a problem. <laughs> like, it's not fixable. <laughs> no, it's, it's over and done with at that point. He's like, yeah. when you start to think you have a problem, you, you've gone way past the problem. So, oh my. Um, good indicator. <laughs> yeah. Just say, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, so we, we've we've been dancing around uh, a, a, a subject matter that that I want to talk to you guys about. We've we've mentioned it several times um, fat. Um, Jamie, do you have a favorite fat that you like to work with um, with cooking? Be be it wild game or or other. Uh, um, I I use bacon fat a lot. Right. So that's an easy one. Um. I have not really experimented with a lot of different fats. I really want to experiment with bear fat, though. Yeah. That's, like, my number one right now. What, so, um, so, so let me just dig in a little bit further. What, what about bear fat have you learned or, like, has oh, I know kind, nothing. Of, or, or I, has kind of intrigued you? That, it's like, intrigued that's... me to want to learn more. Um, like, my husband has become infatuated with bear hunting bear and he just got his <laughs> yeah he like he just got his first bear this year super proud of him and i'm like well i need the fat off of it well a spring bear you know there's <laughs> nothing it's not really. a lot of fat left <laughs> and so, so i haven't been around anybody that has bear fat for me to even experiment yet so i'm really wanting to do that and yeah. And it's kind of a trend right now too. So, mm -hmm. you know, within the community, but that's one that I really want to work with. Yeah. Now, but. so it, it, it has been my understanding with bear fat um, that, uh, and I believe the French actually kind of pioneered this, that um, bear fat usually makes the best pastry mm -hmm. fat. Oh, sure. Not butter. Yeah. I've heard that um, too. Probably why there's no more bears in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why that is? Uh <laughs> Why I, I'm not sure of the chemistry of it. Mm -hmm. um, it, it I'm, I would assume there's probably something there in the chemistry gotcha. um, that causes that. But um, yeah, that's it, it. Does seem to be the trendy thing now is is yeah. a lot of bear fat. Uh, I'm seeing like bear fat pie doughs and yeah. And mm -hmm. um, we had the 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 elk bacon last night with the dessert. Um, yeah, that was the, fantastic. Event, uh, yeah, where they cooked Infused with the elk bacon so and bear fat and and kind of candied over and that, that was, was great. It was super delicious. Yeah, I could have eaten like five of those. I didn't. I didn't have any. Good. For <laughs> 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 Feeling left out. I am. That's all so right. so my personal favorite um, that I like to use is um, duck fat. Duck fat's okay. like one yep. of my. I've worked with that a little bit, and so the and, and I think part of, some sometimes it's I think it's just taste. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, duck fat adds a depth uh, to a lot of dishes, a lot of food, mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. And, and I mean, it, it does. It's it's very mild, but I right. think it's noticeable when it's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, duck fat macaroni and cheese. If you ever made like like craft macaroni and cheese out of the blue box, oh yeah, and just replace the butter with duck fat, like it's amazing. Mm. <laughs> like, like if 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 you've never had what you know, like or and you and now you can even duck fat in the stores. Yeah, um, I've seen it. You know, you for can get a lot of different fats in the stores oh, yeah. now that you're like yeah, for really. Sure. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I've, I, but yeah, duck fat seems to be one of the exciting ones. I, I worked a little bit with um, uh, Schmaltz chicken fat. Okay, um, yeah. I, I had found a Jewish deli that was selling. I was like, oh, yeah, this will be fun and, <laughs> and just kind of exploring because yeah. most game birds don't, pheasants, quail, yeah. they, mm-hmm. they really don't have a fat. Very you know, lean, I, yeah. I would be super excited, you know, if, if they did, you know. They have a lot of energy to, ex- <laughs> to, to extract, like, extract. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, fat. But yeah, Andrew, uh, our coworker, he's obsessed with duck fat. That's, mm. that's what he, that's his go-to for sure. And I've heard that with the Steak Cook-Off Association, mm-hmm. um, most individuals use duck fat on their steaks. Yeah. Yep, to get the, because it, it, it's high temp resistant, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's, got a, it's a very temp. good, it's a very good overall fat. Yep. Um, yeah, for use on a, on a just a, a large scale for all kinds of things. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, using it for, for, and, and not every wild game, I don't think that it works with, you know, um, I, I will step into that arena of bacon fat, you know, I, there's, there's always a can of bacon fat in camp always. with me, you know, <laughs> yeah. just cause yeah. I think we just tend to go through a lot of bacon, you know, yeah. when I go out with my buddies and hunt and stuff like that, yeah. you know, there's, I have the, I, I pre-cook a whole bunch of bacon. I think first day, as soon as I get the, the camp chef set up and <laughs> and we have the grill out and all just to collect ba- bacon fat because it's like all right we're gonna Staple. use this for the rest yeah but, but yeah my 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 breakfast burritos are kind of legendary in in a lot of our <laughs> camps so well, you nice. should have made breakfast um, yeah, why this morning on the barrel tomorrow you just signed up <laughs> yep, just, jonathan's John. on breakfast tomorrow <laughs> 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 well so my buddy's like so when i when i taught them how to duck hunt that was kind of the thing so um the wise guys I, I brought into this whole thing about you know hey we're gonna go duck hunting yeah well, i grew up here in montana um, it's cold. Okay. In the wintertime, you <laughs> know, I, I live down in Arizona now and, and I mean, it, it's cold in a different way, but it's, it's not like cold up here. It's, it's, yeah. it's a whole different world. And so <laughs> but my father and, and my uncles, like I, it was just instilled in me, like we're going to have a big hearty breakfast mm. because we're about to go sit in the blind in the cold, in the snow, like, I mean, whatever conditions may come. And so that having that big belly full of warm chow, really helps you out during the day, even though it's cold. Yeah. It's your internal oven. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> and so I'm in Arizona and, and it isn't the actual temperature degree that gets you. What it is, is the temperature swing. swing. Yep. Um, like we go through massive, you know, real hot during the day cause it's a desert and then it just, there's no cloud cover and it all evaporates. There's nothing to hold it down. And, and especially if you're near water, yeah. that's the one thing I've found out about Arizona. You know, in Arizona, if you're anywhere near water, it's like sitting next to an air conditioner. It's an evap cooler. <laughs> oh, wow. And so it feels even colder um, because you're close to water. And it's just, it's leaving yeah. you, you know, constantly. Yep. So um, yeah, they were, they were like, ah, oh, so I, you know, and, and it, I, I would wake up the extra hour earlier it took, you know, like everyone else doesn't have to get up till four. I'm up at three. All right. You know, drag myself out of bed and fire up the ovens and, you know, let's get cooking and all that other stuff. And, and so I make, and, and of course they, 
the size of my breakfast burrito, they're huge. They're just enormous. <laughs> like, like most of the guys are like, man, I just can't eat it all. I'm like, eat it all, get it all down. Like, cause we, we might hang out in the blind all day. Yeah. You know, like this may not be over in five minutes. Like we, you know, we're going to sit out there and, and you yeah, bring some snacks for lunch or whatever. Like there's no coming back to camp. Like, you know, and so, um, that first morning it's usually like, man, this is just, it's really good. <laughs> but like, man, it's just a lot of food and it, bacon, potatoes, eggs, you know, are, 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 any of my hunts are sponsored by Trader Joe's Green Dragon hot sauce. Like, oh. That goes perfect. Like that's kind of been a camp staple for us forever. So like we can't hold camp without Green Dragon sauce there. So everybody seems to agree on Noted. that hot sauce. All right, I'll make sure yeah. to bring that with. But, uh, but uh, um, yeah, and then after that, you know, that well, we'd had a couple of really cold mornings, um, you know, I think early on and, and with a lot of them. And, and then they were like, I am so glad that you made me eat that entire burrito and all others like because it just i said imagine how miserable you'd have been just eating your granola bar like you were gonna do <laughs> like you know <laughs> yeah. you you would have been in hurting status yeah. you know yeah. um so yeah it's for me that 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 kind of works out really good what about you Corey? what fats like you have any, any um, ones you like working with or i think Bear has also been intriguing to me, but mostly because of the different flavor profiles, depending on time of year mm -hmm. or the, the location. So exactly. to have something, you know, with a little bit sweeter berry flavor or um, musky flavor, uh, et cetera. But I, I haven't experimented with bear much. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the famous, you know, a lot of the people. So I think, you know, more recently, you know, people famously, the, the, the blueberry bears. Yeah where it has the tinge of blue on their fat and everyone, I mean, every, cause everyone's kind of raving about that. Uh, well, here in Montana, obviously you guys have the, the huckleberry bears, bears. Yes. Um, you know, a little bit different Arizona. We actually have the prickly pear bears mm. um, because ah. they'll feed on prickly pear and it, and it turns their fat kind of a, a purplish color um, oh, wow. from the tunas and stuff like that with them eating it and stuff. So yeah, we've, we've had, oh, that's cool. we, we don't get it. We surprisingly, Arizona has a great for black bears. We have a, a wide range mm -hmm. of color phases. Um, I mean, cinnamons, blondes, gotcha. like it's, it's huh. everywhere. That's, what's kind of cool yep. about, you know, you could go out and you could kind of get your color yep. phase, you know, thing on and, and decide which one you want to pick or whatnot. Mm. But, yeah. um, yeah, I've had, I've had a few friends who, when we have a, uh, what we call a, a prickly pear year, the bears just seem to like, they're not on mass, the oak, the acorns and all that stuff. They're yep. down in the prickly pears and stuff. And yeah, they cut them open. They're sending me pictures, you know, this real deep layer of fat on them and, and all that. And it's just wow. tinged purple. And I'm like, okay, save me some. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <You> know? <laughs> absolutely. That's yeah. For what I actually use though, cause I haven't really experimented with bear fat mostly or yet is, is really butter. Yeah. Uh, I use a lot of butter. Um, but with beef, it's the rendering, right? Like the value of charcoal. And the reason why I like cooking over an open flame is that fat smoke and that enhanced fat smoke flavor that's coming from the rendering of the fat in the meat that I'm cooking. But for wild game, yeah, it's, it's usually butter, oils, uh, avocado oil, bacon. Yeah. Those are probably the three staples that I and, use. And, from and, and I'm glad you kind of, kind of closed that loop on all that because that's kind of where I was going. You know, um, fat is flavor. Fat is lots <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at that, f you know, not to talk about the barrel, but I'm going to talk about the barrel, right? And you've got two types of primary smokes. You've got wood smoke, fat smoke. There might be more, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure those are the two. Um, and you get both with the barrel when you're cooking over an open flame. Uh, and there's so much value in that fat smoke. It's sweet, it's savory, and it has it's to cold. hit the coals. <laughs> if it doesn't hit the coals, you don't get the same thing. You know, I've mm -hmm. seen 
you know, concept of a metal heat deflector. If it hits that and it vaporizes, you're not getting fat smoke. Yeah. Uh, it's got to hit the coals, that high heat, that psh, 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 uh, and it, I mean, it's Texas Hill Country style smoking. You're cooking over coals and, and uh, adding that aromatic. Yeah. That's very noticeably different from wood smoke. It is a sweet and savory something about it that you're just like, this I want more of. Like, I'll take a cologne. Can, can I have a, yeah. I'll call it after fat smoke cologne or something like that. And like, just, just bathe in it. It, it, it is... It's delicious. Um, I think if any cologne manufacturers are out listening to this podcast, like, you know, like you, you should get some credit smoke. for, for after-fat after smoke. After-fat smoke. After <laughs> fat, like that's the greatest name for a cologne yes. I could ever <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and I love the fact, so when when we met yesterday and, and you were cooking that, that, um, um, that loin and all that stuff and, you know, you're slicing up, you're like, you're like, oh, here's a, here's here's a John cut, and you handed me this this big. Like, there's a little bit of meat, but it had a ton of that fat. Oh, so much charred up. I was like, so perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that. Like, give me, so give is Corey. Me, uh, that, give me that piece. Yeah. Like, I knew that, you would. I, if I liked it, I knew you I would. would like, oh yeah, well. definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the texture, the flavor, all of that. That's when he um, does brisket at the shop. Like he'll leave quite a bit of fat on the brisket. Yeah, I, don't, and I don't do much trimming yeah. on brisket because of the hot, the direct heat. Oh, heresy, heresy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he'll leave okay. that on and the crust that he gets off it is obviously incredible. But yeah, I'm like, texture. here, Corey, this, this is, <laughs> here's this that fat cap right two there. Two-thirds fat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so let, so let me ask you this question. What's your cut of steak, man? <clears throat> if Corey's going to have his own cut of steak, like what, what he, what's he eating? Cut of steak. No, a, a steak. A what is steak? the steak that you eat? I'm pretty simple. I just love a ribeye. Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm not too particular about a bone on it or not. I'm not really a, a big fan of the, you know, tomahawk only because of the, the bone on it. Like, it's just kind of gets in my way. But <laughs> I, I want the full, right? And, right? and I'm really bad at the, the butcher terms, but I, I don't want you to trim my ribeye. I want the whole thing. I, I don't know if that's called a cowboy cut or necessarily what right. it is, but I know that each each piece of the ribeye has kind of different names or terms to it, but I want the whole thing. Yeah. And I want more fat on it than less fat. And I want it to be about an inch and a half thick so I can do a really good slow reverse sear taking it, resting it periodically while I'm cooking it. And then I rest it for 15 minutes. Uh, and then I throw it directly on the coal. So I only use lump coal and wood. I start my fire with cardboard paper. So that way I can use the coals to my advantage without any chemicals. And so after I've allowed my steaks to rest, I finish them caveman style right on the coals, just to touch yeah. up every so corner good. of it to make sure that it's charred exactly the way that I want it. And then I serve it, slice it thin instantly. So yeah. you don't have rested meat plated you have a hot charred outer but it's been tenderized by resting for 15 minutes already so you've gotten that heat distribution already then you basically hit it with that reverse sear at the end serve it instantly that's how i like to do my steak no jamie looks like she's just like envisioning (sighs) this in her head like so are you are you saying the ribeye i would say the ribeye um i mean lately my husband is completely obsessed with just doing like a tri-tip um and finishing it off in the coals and he's like babe 
if we have anybody come over the house, like that's what you're doing. And your chimichurri. <laughs> Jamie makes yeah. an incredible and chimichurri, chimichurri to top it. <laughs> and so yeah. that's kind of been our staple in the house for the past, well, since we got the barrel, really. Yeah. And yeah. everybody loves it. So. Yeah, and so it's fun finishing it on, like, right on the coals, just dirty style. And people can't comprehend that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to get that just really nice crust and that just bubbly goodness to finish off your steak, yeah. just throwing it right on the coals. And right. I mean, the stuff doesn't stick to it or anything like that. And, but to visualize it, I mean, kind of some people kind of turn up their nose a little bit. Cause they're like, really? That's, you're just going to really make it dirty. You're make like, my steak dirty. Yeah. Well, that's the point, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> but it just makes it, so much better. The flavor is in, impeccable. So yeah, I'm, I'm the odd one out in this one. So, um, I, I do appreciate ribeyes like for exactly what they are. I mean, like, I, I think I appreciate, I like, I'll appreciate pretty much every cut, but if there was one that's like, okay, this is, this is John right here. Mm-hmm. It's the New York strip mm-hmm. ah. without a doubt, because I like that giant layer of fat yep. along the one side, the cap. Yeah. So, sure. and, and I, and it may just have coming up from just eating game meat my whole life mm-hmm. where that New York, I mean, it's just, it, there's a block of solid meat, yep. you know, it's a block. and, and, it, and it, yep. I mean, it has some chew and all that stuff. But as I go, as I'm eating it, I can decide, you know, how much fat and when to kind of incorporate that into my, my yep. flavor palette as I eat that steak, you know? Yep. Um, and so, and yeah, and cause to me, like that's, that's my wife is a, is a, my wife and daughter are both ribeye people. And, and so like, she'll go to the store, it's two ribeyes in a New York, you know, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> She's like, I still don't understand this, but like, I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, sounds like the, the, maybe that's the general demographic is 30% New York, 60%. <laughs> maybe. Cause that's, I mean, that's how it is here. Two yeah. One. Yeah. Uh, my, my second preference is skirt steak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love skirt steak and all, there's so much that you can do with mm-hmm. it. Eat it as a steak, cut Same. it up into whatever yep. salads or, yep. I mean, you name it, you can use it in a lot of different areas. Now and that's super tender. And I've been, I've been trying to find a skirt steak on elk is, and, and so I've been exploring on the neck, trying to find that tender kind of areas, those thinner, thinner pieces of, of meat. Obviously I know the skirt doesn't come from the neck, but just trying to figure that out. Um, and there might even be something there, but every time I gut an elk, I feel like I'm just cutting right through any potential skirt yeah. steak that could exist or ruining it because I'm cleaning it in the field and getting that part dirty. I, I did it one time with a mule deer mm-hmm. years and years ago. Um, I, I shot a, a really decent mule deer, um, just a just a big wide body mule deer yeah and i was like all right so i i took that whole belly off gotcha and got it and and i i had a i had a actually had a refrigerator that i could control a little bit better at the time Mm -hmm. so i just i cut that whole i cut both sides off you know um put it in there and and drop that temp i didn't drop it to freezing but i got it cold because i wanted that that fat and instead of like when you get it fresh i needed it to turn hard and white gotcha you know 
And uh, then I went back and, and literally laid it out on my big area. And I'm like, I'm trying to like just cut as much of that fat off as I can to see. And, it, and it's a very, very thin layer of me. <laughs> they don't have, they don't have quite, you know, what a beef does and all yep. of their stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and I, I guess I'm, I'm blessed in that respect. Um, being in Arizona, yep. um, simply because, um, flap steak, skirt steak, uh, flank steak, like that's, that's solid, you know, Mexican origin yep. uh -huh. cooking. Like, you know, we, Carne asada, we're 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 living that dream twenty four seven. You so know, my carnicerias yeah. down there. Oh my lord! You know, like you actually and and they they you know a lot of folks don't know the difference between those three. Mm -hmm. they, right. You know, they'll call something a, a, a skirt, it's like or you know you mm -hmm. can't find flap or yeah. uh, any of that other stuff. And and so yeah, it's 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 great for me to to be able to walk into some carnicerias and be like, all right, you know, let me let me, let me get some of this and yeah. and all that because yeah, that that thin it's that thin cut that's just yeah, it's it's. And it takes literally no time. Yep. No time. Hot, fast. So yeah, easy. Yeah, just incredibly hot. You yeah. Know? Um, I think it shocks a lot of people when you just kind of go, psh, psh, okay, uh -huh. we're done. Yep. Yeah. About it? Really? That's as long as you're cooking? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Cut it across That's the grain. Far, as far as it, it is. just breaks down in your mouth. It's yeah. So yeah. Good. It's great. Well, and then half the time, I mean, a lot of the, the marinades and stuff like that have a citrus component. And so mm -hmm. that acid, yeah. I mean, that acid starts cooking at the moment it hits. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the lime. So, I'm a big fan of lime. What's yeah. your steak? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A marinade I do is like orange juice, lemon juice. Uh, lime juice and jalapenos Ooh. with garlic and just like a little bit of olive oil and oh it just cuts in there so easily and yeah. you just marinate it for two days you know <laughs> and yeah. it's good really can good can you just eat it after that after two days I feel like you've the <laughs> acid's probably it, oh, well I mean good. it's it's darn near ceviche yep exactly. I mean, at that point you <laughs> yeah know, I mean I've and I've done plenty of ceviche where it's like it you know, 10 minutes and it's ready yep. <laughs> at that point. So it, I, uh, Land and Grant and I did a fishing trip and they made ceviche for me. That's like the first time oh. I'd had ceviche Riverside yeah. along to Brown Trout. Oh, nice. it up. I want to do it again. <laughs> I want to do it more. Great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I would say probably my favorite fish to do ceviche with mm -hmm. um, actually is... Um, sunfish like bluegill oh, yeah. um red ears oh, green yeah. sunfish and all that yeah. stuff totally that meat itself is is actually usually very sweet and it's usually very thin anyway mm -hmm. um unless mm -hmm. you're catching monsters you know um where, where it gets super thick so it it, it cooks in that acid really quick mm -hmm. and you know if you just kind of you know you're making a it, in essence you're just kind of making a pico de gallo to throw in with it and, right. and hit it with all the juice and just kind of let it sit and go mm -hmm. uh of course you know for the listeners out there for safety reasons <laughs> um uh you know you're, you're good you're gonna want to freeze that bluegill hard in your freezer uh it needs to be frozen hard for 24 hours not mm -hmm. just freezing it for 24 hours usually you know a couple of days because yeah. they do have some some parasites and all other <laughs> stuff that you need to to be mindful of that are kind of nasty. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, warm, some, warmer fish, right? Warm water. It, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, and it keeps, um, well, I, I caught some very nice bluegill a couple years ago in North Dakota. Um, there's oh, yeah. a lake up in North Dakota. Oh yeah. I, I've got some secrets <laughs> up here too for oh, some, yeah. for some good fish too. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, they, it, I think it's, it's funny because it's, it's one of those underserved or under, under fished for fish. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, most folks are after trout or they're after bass or, yeah. you know, like, like kind of those things and, and more sport fish uh, than well. And, and to me, that's the irony of it because mm -hmm. pound for pound bluegills and all the sunfish, they fight harder than anything I've ever had on a line. Yeah. <laughs> if you get ultralight rods and reels 
and go after bluegill and all that other stuff. The, the, I mean, you'd think you just hooked into a, you know, a, a Los Angeles class submarine half the time. <laughs> <laughs> they, they fight hard. They are, and they're dodgy. I mean, they oh. just. Yeah. I, when I was younger, so I grew up in Lake George, New York. It's a 32 mile long lake. Oh man, I caught I caught a lot of perch, yeah. uh, bluegills, pike. Um, and I just remember standing on docks, fishing those things. And I'm just, the darts. The like as soon darts. as you put your pole yeah, in. Yeah, as soon as you there. put it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. But I, I, I thoroughly, they, they, to me, they make probably the best fish tacos. And, that makes and sense. I mean, yeah. We, we didn't do a lot with them because there's just the root, like the volume of meat on them was, yep. it was just. So my, my rule my rule on those is, yeah. is they have to be a popsicle stick or bigger for gotcha. me to keep them. Like, oh, at at that go. point, if they're bigger than a popsicle Boundaries. stick, then they're worth playing. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> because I've had, I've had some really great nights. I, I, uh, for a long time, so I, I had a really great spot that was just my bluegill spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it, 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 was, it was unbelievable. It was just unbelievably thick. And then we had a, we had a golden algae bloom a few years ago go through, and it, it deoxygenated the lake and killed killed a lot off and so i've, I've been hoping that that maybe you know 10 years down the road that it'll return to its former glory because i'd be out there and i would do an overnight i just had my float tube in me and fly rod and 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 some other and i would have 250 300 fish nights and i'm throwing wow. back you know 70 to 80 percent of the fish because they weren't bigger than popsicles but i'm just yeah. like i'm just into fish all night long you know i'm just hitting yep. them and, and yep. stuff like that and it's like it, it, that was kind of the fun part it's like okay cool you know i got another one. Oh, you know yep. let me let me ever cast let me paddle over here and see if i can get some over here and yep. you know see if the bigger ones are over here but um it's fun Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Bozeman has some good sunfish ponds. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, my I boys have fished that. it. Might have to keep a couple. Yeah? <laughs> give it a, try give to it a freeze go. them and give them a, uh, yeah, go ceviche. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, Corey, let me, let me dig in a little bit. So, you, you when, when we first talked, you were telling me some interesting stuff. Like, I want to know your journey into to hunting. Yeah. Um so I've talked about this a little bit well, with you. Um, so I was a, <laughs> my grandmother, uh, I should paint this picture first, I guess. So my <laughs> grandmother had a device that would suck black flies in and then she would release them outside. That was my grandmother. That's what, and I, you know, rest in peace. Uh, that she, it was a lot of her, like, I don't know, I don't know how to word it properly, but anyway, I, uh, I followed her in a lot of ways in regards to wild animals and game and just not killing things, literally just not killing. So hunting was not, not my thing growing up. Now my family hunted and I respected that. I just couldn't relate with it. Uh, I would cry if I was watching like a deer get shot on TV on the sportsman's channel. I literally would cry. So I was a pretty anti hunter. Um, and then when I moved to Montana, I, I, I understood it. I appreciate it. But when I moved to Montana, I understood it as more than the Sportsman's Channel. It wasn't just the Sportsman's Channel. It was about sustenance. Um, uh, it was about adventure. Uh, it was about uh, camaraderie. Um, and, and I got into it hard. Um, and so that, you know, few years, then into archery hunting, rifle hunting, and then into self-processing, um, just to bring it full circle. Yeah, that was the Cliff Notes version, I guess. Yeah. So, so when, at, at, all along that journey, when, when do you think you made the connection, um, Montana between hunting and food, Montana seeing, yeah. I think there was a couple things. It was, um, moving to Montana and seeing the wide open spaces 
and getting outside of a narrow vision of it being on the sportsman. And I'm using sportsman's channel loosely, so I apologize, but seeing a lot of shows that were just, you know, trophy hunting shows and the ego that came with it. And I'm not saying I don't go out looking for the biggest animal. That's not what I'm saying. It just, it painted the wrong picture of what hunting is to a lot of individuals. Um, and so when I moved to Montana, it, it just, uh, I related with it more and I started to, started to interact with more people that hunted and started to understand what, what it represented more than, than what I was seeing. They weren't the guys you saw on TV. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and then at, at one point, um, I, I, early in it, I wanted to do self-processing and I messed up probably 30 pounds and it disgusted me that I had to throw away 30 pounds of meat. So it scared the shit out of me because of that mistake. So I took it to a processor for the longest time. Um, and I was happy with that. And I think everyone should be happy with that. Um, but one point I, I took it to a processor and they had stacks of animals outside because they were so backed up. And I just turned around, came home and was like, okay, I'm not <laughs> taking it to a processor anymore. And, and again, there's a lot of great processors out there. I highly recommend them if you don't have the time, but started investing more time and energy into self-processing. Um, and it just became so simple. Uh, I, uh, off on a tangent here, but if you're considering self-processing, you're not doing it, just buy a sausage stuffer. That solves everything, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> um, the sausage stuffer makes uh, making sausage exponentially easier if you're trying to do it with a grinder stop. First casings left and right, you don't have no control. Uh, you, can't, you, can't, you just can't feel the casing expanding. Like it's, just, it's out of your control, literally. Um, get, a, get a sausage stuffer anyway. All that to say, it, full circle, my car ride last year up to my dad to father-in-law to help him pack out that elk. I'm now thinking about everything I want. All right, I want bone-in back strap. I, I want to know what that tastes like. I want to keep a fat cap on that. And I want to see how that develops over a long cook and what that experience is like. I want to keep whole hindquarter or I want to keep the front shoulder or I want to do what I can with the neck. I want to divide the different sections of the neck meat uh, and see what I can do on a grill with that, how it breaks down, how it tenderizes. Does it not tenderize, <laughs> right? Like I had a great conversation and I feel so bad I can't remember his name yesterday about neck meat. There's some states that are not requiring you to take the neck meat out anymore. Um, and I think people just are, you know, you can really one of the most undervalued undervalued cuts of, yeah. cuts of meat on, on yeah, a deer. And elk I mean, and yeah. just take a couple extra minutes to separate the, the different sections of meat. That's mm -hmm. what I was getting back to is more like flank steak, not quite skirt steak, but more like flank steak. And there's another, there's another term for something similar to flank steak. It starts with a B, uh, a cut of meat. I think it starts with a B. Anyway, it's thicker than flank steak. Um, and it reminds me of that a lot. Uh, and and I, did, uh, I did a few pieces or a few things with it at Turkey Camp and it blew my mind how good it was. And I didn't touch it up. <laughs> I mean, I left a lot of the fat that was in the connective tissue between things. I didn't really touch it up that much and it was good. It was really good. That, that fat on it uh, didn't harden at mouth temperature because I, I think I just exposed it to high heat and I charred it quite a bit. Um, so it held its consistency. It was just, it was just really good. Anyway, I feel like I'm off on a tangent here. Uh, I don't know how I oh, got no, here, good. but um, <laughs> it it just it was a it was an, it's been a really neat journey. Um, and I always think back to my dad because my dad's a chef, and like just thinking about him 
cooking with friends and family like that, just trying to figure out why I care about this, right? Like yeah. why it's uh, something that I have to do. I'd love to entertain, love to see the smile on people's faces. And I think back to my dad, who was a chef and spent a lot of time in the community with the Amish growing up in Pennsylvania. Um, and so they'd always have little picnics and barbecues and he'd always be there with a blue bandana on his head, just sweating it up uh, over an open flame grill, just cooking up for the community. Uh, uh, and I f just feel like that just leached in. Yeah, uh, part of my DNA now. So <laughs> now here I am sweating it up a 95 degree day yeah. in Missoula. But, well, now you can um, see exactly what he enjoyed so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> anyway, total tangent there. Uh, but did that answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, I, that's, that's it. Uh, now, now we got to switch over here to see... What, tell, tell me this kind of, you know, we, we've talked a lot of in the past couple of days yeah. about all that, but so let's kind of, let's, let's, let's wrap this together. You know, how you kind of came down the road to, to hunting and. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in Lucent, Idaho. Um, my grandparents had a ranch just outside and we, as little kids, we would always take like our little pellet guns, you know, and go shoot the rabbits outside or down the train tracks and, um, or the prairie dogs or whatever, you know, and, uh, my dad was a hunter up until I was about 10. Um, I had a really interesting experience hunting with him and my brother. Um, it was like the first really big hunt that I had. We had walked in and did the whole thing. It's me and my brother with my dad and he had shot a whitetail and, it didn't go down. We let it rest, but another hunter came and shot it and took it. And we walked up to it and the experience of this other hunter taking this deer that we had shot first was very like such a bummer <laughs> and really just, I mean, like how uh, at 10 years old, it's, it's kind of a, a, bad experience, I guess you could say, because you're really looking forward to like bringing that home yeah. to our family. And he never hunted after that experience. We never went out. We still went to the ranch and did all the rabbits and you know, stuff like that. And, um, it wasn't really until I met my husband that I really got into hunting. Um, we were down in Jackson hole where we met and hearing his whole family having to grow up on mule deer in South Dakota and really everything that they could get, that's what they lived on. And the experiences that he had with his best friends, with his family, with his grandpa who hunted down in Gardner, Montana, um, you know, Caleb hunts those spots now and um, just doing that stuff together now. Like I got my first elk in Wyoming, that was super incredible. Um, I'm not one of those people that likes the trophy deer or anything like that. Uh, mine is usually the smaller one, <laughs> which I'm okay with. <laughs> Taste the animal. Club. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that stuff just doesn't get me. Um, but when we moved to North Dakota, um, we spent almost nine years there. We really... Um, started just breaking down the meat how you should yeah. and uh, the value of that. And now we really try and keep 
everything off the animal. My favorite is probably the heart. Like, absolutely. If you know how to break down a heart and you get those three pieces, like three steaks and know how to cook it, it is that's it for me. <laughs> I that's absolutely the, love it. And um, Corey does a really good heart. <laughs> just, not fast. It but it's anything. like, I don't know. It's just something about it that uh, we just really love. My a great thing is um, we have a daughter. She's six. Um, her favorite meat is venison. And for her to connect what mom and dad get out in the field, whether that's fishing or deer, elk, whatever, um, she sees that. I mean, she's been out in the field with me while I've dressed a deer, you know, like that stuff doesn't bother her and she gets it just yeah. like we do. So, um, and then it's been fun because we experiment stuff on the, on the birch barrel at home. How can we use the neck meat, you know, stuff like that. So it's been fun to connect that way and have our kid too, oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, be involved with it. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I think it, it, as as you were talking, it, I, I was I was just thinking back on on a lot of conversations I've had um, with uh, uh, women in hunting, um, mm-hmm. and how a lot of them end up more like Corey, where it's where it's they're coming in as adults. Yeah, um, you yeah. Know, where, where they become hunters, and um, you know, sometimes a lot of them, you know, they weren't fortunate enough to either uh, because they were a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, essentially never got taken out hunting, Yeah, you know, cause it's, oh, well you, you know, you need to do girl stuff as though this is some <laughs> kind of like man's only sport and, and those <laughs> kind of things. And, and so, I mean, at least you had a little bit of an introduction prior to the, the, the whitetail incident, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to, to, to kind of do that. And, and, but, you know, coming back, I think later on it, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was, I was in my early twenties, you yeah. know, when I when I got reintroduced into all of that and now seeing it progress has it as it has, um, it's very interesting. Yeah. You don't really run into a whole lot of women that hunt. And when you do, you're like, Hey, yes, like there's another one, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, and 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 it's definitely, I mean, you know, we, I think, you know, we talk about how we, we certainly recognize that, that women are kind of the fastest growing demographic in Mm -hmm. hunting. Um, today and it's and it's really really cool to see yeah. um, you know it's it's a lot of I think a lot of problems and issues um, you know that are that are out there um, certainly it's been a, a male dominated um, you know kind yeah. of sport for a long time and so you know things like um, the clothing uh, you know the camouflage like there you know yeah. there, there wasn't clothing built for women necessarily. And so you get, you know, men's kind of big baggy shirts and right. all that stuff. And, and so there's been a lot of advances getting there. In, yeah. Yeah. Cer- <laughs> certainly a lot of advances. I mean, you know, from, from me growing up with, with, you know, dad's Buffalo check jacket yes. and stuff that I used to go on in when I was a kid to, yeah. you know, starting to talk as, you know, as, as you'd work for Sitka, I mean, the, some of the performance gear, you know, mm. yep. kind of a, a technological advancements, but also, you know, the, the, the fit and form of it. Fit's right. important. Um, and yeah, confidence. And to be honest, sure. like in a lot of things, I'm not going to do it if I'm not confident in it and, and not having something that performs appropriately. Mm-hmm. It makes it, makes it a barrier for yeah. entry. Yep. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Makes a difference, but yeah, I, I love hunting. Um, I mean, it's just something that we do now. And so, so let me let me let me dig a little deeper, just real quick. Um, so, because you went to culinary school, um, you know, have this background and all that other stuff. It, 
and not necessarily that maybe it's related to this. So what, what let, I'm trying to figure out how to best form this question. <laughs> um, what drives what you want to hunt? Is um, it, is it, is it a, you know, like, okay, I really like elk, you know, because of how it tastes. Um, you know, is it, Hey, I really like elk because it's fun. Like they're screaming their heads off in September and you know, the <laughs> rut and it's wild and crazy. I mean like that, that to me kind of is in the intriguing part about like, you know, what it, do you just select a variety of things because you like variety in, in all the different flavors that you can have in your food. I mean like there's, yeah. there's such a wide open field <laughs> of like what drives you to hunt what you do, where you do, why you do. Mm -hmm. So when I first started hunting, I did not like venison because it wasn't cooked right. I don't know if it was you and I that had this conversation last night or if it was with somebody else, but uh, like venison is very easy to overcook. And when you overcook it, it is just not good. Yeah. Um, and I had it overcooked and I'm just like, this is just not right. This it, it's got to taste better than this. No matter what time of year you get the deer, whatever, if whether it's a whitetail or mule deer, it's got to taste better than this. <laughs> so, um, I think what clicked is just like really learning how to cook whatever it is. Right. Um, I do really like elk. My favorite is moose. I've never shot a moose, but I've had it and it is probably my favorite just because of the sweetness of it. And obviously it de it's determined by where it eats, but the moose I've had is a Wyoming moose and it's just incredible. It's my absolute favorite. And so I guess just cooking it right to get the real flavor as it should is just it for me. No. I don't know if that answers your question, but no, I just, I'm just kind of, I'm always <laughs> curious as to, as to the why or what, what's the yeah. driving motivation for, because so often, uh, hunters themselves kind of self-sort, self-designate, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a turkey hunter and that's, that's like their identity, you know, <laughs> like they, they kind of become that. Um, I don't, I, I don't feel like I really or, have that like designation though. So, yeah. well, I, I, so, <laughs> so I, I, I'm very much a generalist hunter. Like I, I, in terms of, you know, when. And, and it's hard for me to just say that I just hunt for the food because I don't, I don't think of it just as grocery shopping. It's there's, there's more intrinsic value yeah, there's an experience, in the experience and, yeah. and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have like, um, uh, I, I think we, you know, we all have like favorite meats or I mean, there's a lot of people yeah. who just love elk meat because it's, you know, it's probably the closest thing to beef that I think, you know, we have, but you know, and some people love it for other reasons, but, um, I have a penchant for like, other, like, I'm, I, I don't know what it, like, I'm just, maybe it's, maybe it's a little psychosis or obsession or what, like, I don't know if you've been watching me out here as like, I've been walking around the, the camp area here at Fort Missoula. Um, but there's like fox squirrels in the trees and like, <laughs> and, and so like, I'm kind of like, I'm like, I'm like, ooh, quiet. Ooh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like watching them and stuff. And I, I actually, I got up close to one in one of the trees and stuff like that. He was, we were playing hide and seek around the tree and, and I'm like, uh, you know, I was trying to get pictures of them and, and all that stuff. And, and I, I, oh, squirrel hunting is just one of those things. Like That's it's, great. it's, and they're a fantastic meat. I mean, on top of it all, but like there's <laughs> something just that drives me to kind of like be Doug the dog 
squirrel. <laughs> no, I see a squirrel. Literally. I, get, I love bird hunting all over. But yeah, like, oh, I, I don't chase squirrels. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, and, and I don't know if part of it, so when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, you know, we, we were feeding the family. I mean, that's kind of why mm. we were hunting. And so there was 13 of us between grandparents, dad, uncles, wives, kids, you know, I mean, like mm-hmm. I remember, and, and Montana was very liberal back then about what you could do with your tags. Like you could give it to, uh, your child, like you could buy it and give it to your, of course, everything every, uh-huh. we could buy so many tags at, at the local, mm-hmm. you know, IGA yeah. store and just like, um, there you go. <laughs> my, well, and that was the thing. So I always, my dad, he, he, you know, obviously you got to kind of spend your, your, your vacation time wisely. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, he, he was working really hard trying to, you know, get caught up on bill. I mean, whatever it was. And, and so he was like, all right, son, you know, like, um, here's your mom's tags. Here's my tags. Here's your tags. I'm dropping you off at grandpa's house for two weeks. You and your uncles are going to go out and just like <laughs> harvest, you know, yep. like get, get as, get as many as you can. You know, you gotta <laughs> cool. fill some freezers, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so like, yeah, so we were, I mean, we were never chasing out. Like there was a rule in my family, like shoot the first thing that comes in. If a group of things comes in, just shoot the biggest one. Uh, you know? <laughs> Cause it didn't be like, we're just, we're looking to feed folks. And so, uh, there were times I was out there and, and, uh, of course, uh, the fox squirrels weren't as big of a problem in Montana then. Um, <laughs> they, they really hadn't kind of spread around. And so most of the ones I ran into were the little red squirrels, the pine squirrels. Uh. And, uh, all, I was like, man, I want to shoot one of those. I'm like, why? Cause I had never tasted one before. <laughs> and, uh, you're not wasting a 270 bullet on a squirrel. Like, you know, we're trying to feed a family here. Don't, don't be doing that stupid stuff, you know? So I never got to shoot squirrels as a kid. And so they kind of always fascinated me. And it wasn't until I moved down to Arizona and, and, you know, we had a draw system. So you, like, you just couldn't go buy over the counter tags. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. a thing, you know, it was, it was like, you gotta get a draw and it's a lottery system. And I didn't understand the system very well at that time. And, and so uh, I was in college and uh, uh, a buddy of mine who I was going to college with, he's like, hey, you know, did you get drawn for anything? I'm like, no, I have no idea. And so he, <laughs> he kind of sent me down. He's like, why don't you go squirrel hunting? And I'm like, man, I never really thought about squirrel. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, I'd never done this before. And he's yeah. like, he's like, ah, oh. so he just pulls out a map points to his body. He's like, just go here. You're like, you, you know, I'm like what? Seriously, that's it. He's like, yeah, just go try it. And I'm like going, all right. You know, so I went out there, had the best time of my life. And like that, that just started me down a, a dark road of <laughs> squirrel, squirrel spiral. Um, dark road. <laughs> well, it, 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 it kind of, well, be, for here in the West, certainly small game hunters are not, um, you know, upland bird hunters are, are definitely more prevalent, yeah. duck hunters. But, but yeah, the small game stuff like rabbits and squirrels are not. A Western, not a glamorous thing up here. Not in no. the West. I mean, certainly yeah. in the East, um, yep. you know, you, you see it a lot more. And so, um, you know, and, and then uh, I think the first time I went to the World Championship Squirrel Cookoff uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas, is where <laughs> else would you host it? Yeah. But the home of Walmart, you know, um, uh, like it was, it was weird. I was like, I found my tribe. <laughs> like, is like people? this is where yeah. I was from. Yeah. And and yeah, and it's it's because it, to me it's funny. I. I I see, I see folks, you know, just to kind of, to tie this back to what we were talking about earlier, like the, that whole self-sorting where people are like, oh, I'm a turkey hunter. I'm an elk hunter. Yeah. Um, I, I see a lot of people who, who end up on that big game side where they, they self-sort and say, you know, that's kind of what they're, I mean, and, and it's perfectly yeah. fine. That they, I mean, you might just love deer hunting and that's all you ever want to do. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I also kind of go, well, you know, you're shunning off a lot of other, you know, uh, opportunities to to hone your craft, to, mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to just hunt. I mean, sometimes people say, man, all I want to do is hunt. And I'm like going, okay, well get out of your mind what it is you want to hunt <laughs> because there's plenty of opportunities. Yep. Yeah. And where, you know, like I, I, I 
a lot of those folks that, that are in Arkansas and all that other stuff, I mean, we, we've had kind of this long conversation because, yeah, we identify as squirrel hunters, but that doesn't mean we don't deer hunt and elk hunt and turkey. I mean, yeah. those are kind of the other things, but like, what would, we, we get some excitement out of squirrels. And, and, and by the way, squirrel, squirrel is the fattiest game meat available, mm. which is why they're so tender and juicy when you is cook them. Is it because of the diet, I assume? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Nuts. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Nope. So that's, the, that's kind of the secret trick about squirrels that you know, most people don't know is, <laughs> is they have the highest fat content yep. of any game animal, so they stay tender and juicy. I had my first squirrel elk hunting with my brother-in-law uh, who came out from PA, his buddy. Uh, oh, man, I'm so bad with names. Ben, I believe his name is. Um, you know, didn't didn't want to get, I mean, Montana non-resident tags, a thousand bucks right now over that. So it came out, hunted squirrels while we hunted elk. And we, we ate a lot more squirrel than we did elk. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I had my first squirrel, it was great. I had squirrel heart on a stick over an open flame. Uh, it was awesome. delicious. Uh, it was fun. It was yeah. definitely like, mm, squirrel, huh? And then it was like, oh yeah, it's meat. Like, yeah. yeah. What uh, what would you what term would you use then for people that just like I mean, do you just say I like to hunt or general hunter? Uh, Sometimes some people some people will will announce themselves as as generalists. Generalists. Yeah, they're like uh, you know I'm just kind of open to any opportunity or whatnot. And, yeah. and uh, I think you know we've we've kind of been so growing up obviously here it, and it, for me it was a bit more subsistence hunting. You know, mm -hmm. at that point, like 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 I said, it, it's I I. I don't think, I mean, as a, as a kid in the kind of the way we were growing up, much, much like, you know, Caleb, your, your husband, Jane, that, that, um, things were tough, Yep. you know, yeah. um, in that time. And, and so, I mean, we were, I think fortunately we, we, dad had an, he made enough money at some point, like he would buy half a hog every year, mm -hmm. um, you know, which would end up being bacon and hams and, mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff. And so there, we had some, some traditional domestic meats available, but at the same time, you were supplementing a lot with, with game meat. Yep. Yeah. And so at, at that point, I, I, you know, thinking back on that, like I didn't have the freedom to hunt like I do now. Right. Um, where, you know, I mean, certainly I think society as a whole, you know, and, and even myself personally, I'm in just in a better place, you know, <laughs> financially and in the world mm -hmm. and, and those kind of things. And so I, and, and it, it was, I think we, we traveled, I a few times I remember, um, I, I went with my uncles, we, we went to, uh, Wyoming to hunt uh, mm -hmm. pronghorn and they, at one point they had way too many pronghorn and, and they were like, you know, trying to encourage non-residents to come and, and call a bunch off and, <laughs> and all that stuff. So it was like just kind of a big meat run, I think for, for me and my uncles and, and my dad and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of think about that freedom that I have now yeah. to like, you know, I've got, I've got choices for traveling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't just have to, I, I pretty much just hunted in, you know, the areas of my dad and my uncles and that, you know, those, those yeah. old spots where it was, where now I can kind of like, hey, I can, uh, yeah, let's, let's go hunting in California or, you know, let's, let's go try Kansas or, you know, yeah. and, and, and kind of expand my horizons on those things. Um uh, on certainly different species and stuff, you know, obviously yeah. we don't have moose in, in Arizona, <laughs> so I'd have to go somewhere for that. Or, you know, um, you know, you, you, you kind of are a victim to what's in your backyard, yeah. but also there's a world of opportunities outside that. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it, I, I, I feel like I have a lot more freedom, uh, to, to pick and choose what I'm hunting and, 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 and I like that, yep. um, a lot. I mean, I, I certainly, um, uh, you know, and that's that. I 
you know, it was uh, fortunately, I mean, I, I, you know, I was the first person to take the, the, the American tree squirrel slam, the first person ever to do that. Um, you know, which, which I did is, not know that. Yeah, yeah that's what, that's what kind of drove. Yeah. Like I, so oh, I got driven man. crazy once I was allowed to hunt squirrels. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, uh, wow. it's all pent up. it was, oh, yeah, I was, I, I was, I was, well, so, and, and I didn't even do it on purpose at that point. I just, you know, I, I looked at my fall work schedule and, and I had some traveling to do and, uh, just, you know, to put together how my mind works. Like I'm looking at my fall schedule. I had a meeting in Monterey, California. I had to be in, in Kansas city for another meeting. Um, uh, I don't remember where else I was going to be. Um, must be on the east coast at some point too, right? There's a gray squirrel or well, yes. Yeah, so, well, the, and and the gray squirrels and fox squirrels I got right there in Kansas and Missouri oh, okay. gotcha. um, on that same trip and stuff. But I just, I was looking at my travel schedule and I realized I was like, man, I'm going to be in the ranges of all eight species of tree squirrels, and and I was like, well, guess what? I'm going to be there during hunting seasons. I'm like, I wonder if I could do this. You know, this would, this would be kind of interesting and fun. And, oh, my gosh. And so it was a personal thing for me. It yeah. wasn't like some grand, you know, like, like yeah, I just. I had you known no one I, else had done it before? Well, no, and that was the whole thing. I, I had no clue. Um, I, uh, uh, so I was working with the Smithsonian Institute at the time, and, and uh, um, Roger Thorrington was the mammals curator at the time at the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. And, and what most people don't know is that the Smithsonian actually doesn't have everything, um, which is kind of surprising. Um, when, you know, there, there was a lot of collecting here in America of all the different species and all that stuff that, that got housed. And then all of a sudden, like, there was this switch to Africa and, and all, places all over the world, you know. And, and so collecting here in America kind of stopped. And so, um, you know, usually the Smithsonian likes to have... Uh, multiples uh, of a few things where they have a disarticulated skeleton. They have one that's, that's articulated, completely put together. They have, you know, skins and, and all that other stuff. And, and so I, I was working with them with regard to a, a couple of um, species here in Arizona and, and making sure that, you know, the, that specimens were preserved yeah. um, there and, and all that. And, and um, I had already shot the, the whole thing. I had them all mounted. Um, my wife that drove her absolutely nuts that, you know, I had all these taxidermy squirrels coming to the house and, <laughs> And stuff and and I was talking to Richard. I, I said uh, I, I happened to mention. I said, "Hey, I because I would have figured one of the collectors, yep, um, of the early days would have gotten one and, and stuff. But they would have had to come through Arizona because there's there's one that's only in Arizona. Um, it just stretches into the the southeastern corner of Arizona and then further south into and Mexico. What species the only is that? place the um, the uh, Mexican fox squirrel. Gotcha. And so um, I was like, okay, you know, I was thinking through some of the collectors and I was like, all right. And when I talked to him, I said, hey, you know, by chance, did, you know, did any of the collectors, Merns, Bailey, Vale, did, did they ever get um, all eight species, you know, to, to send back? Because these guys, like, they were, they were almost collecting on top of each other mm. um, and be, because they went to different areas. And, and you may not have gotten, you know, a specimen, whoever the collector was who was there at a different time may not have gotten this, you know, you run across a specimen they missed or whatever. So they were always constantly buying and shipping back. And, and so he said, you know, I, he's like, I'll, I'll check into it, you know? And I said, okay, cool. You know, I just kind of curiosity and, and yeah, I called me back, you know, about a week later when we talked again and he's like, he's like, yeah, Hey, I checked everything. No, only, uh, I think Bailey and Vale only got seven. And I'm like going, seriously, <laughs> he's like, why? I said, I said, well, I just, I just went and got all eight of them. Um, you know, got them all out. He's like, do you want to, do, do you want to house them at Smithsonian? And I'm like going, I'm like, 
are you talking about? No, these are mine, you know? <laughs> I um, can't part with them. Uh, yeah, no, like I got them mounted for me. Like Jeez. that was the whole point. And, and uh, he said, well, pretty much outside of the Smithsonian and maybe one other museum in the world, you're probably the only person with that collection. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, cause they, they, they aren't, they, they get, we get requests a lot from museums to, yeah. to have certain specimens and stuff, you know, sent. And, and so, yeah, that was, and then, talked to Phil Bourgelais and then it ends up in Field and Stream and, you know, cause it was like, he's like, oh, this is a really cool story. You <laughs> yeah, know, like, like I've never, never thought or heard about anything like that at the time, but. Um, Congratulations. Fun fact about Joe. <laughs> yeah, very, 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 very bizarre facts. But that's, like I said, so if you see me in the park today, I'm walking around and there's like, like up, yeah. I'm staring up or like, or How like, can maybe, I get that maybe I'm, maybe, maybe like I'm just, you know, I'm in a good clip walking on through the park yeah. and then like all of a sudden my head flips and I stop, you know, it's because probably there's a squirrel out I'm there. I'm going to get you a pocket slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> just one that you can always be. Is there a season or can you harvest a squirrel at any time? Uh, no, no. I, I, yeah. Montana has, I think a specific season, specific season um, gotcha. on them and, and, and all That's that other so stuff. Weird. Um, uh, Idaho was actually the last of the lower 48 to not have a designated squirrel season. Gotcha. Uh, and they just got their <laughs> season finally just to like Defined. codified it finally yeah. just a couple years ago and stuff. And then, and so it was like, I was like, I was like, man, cause you know, that, that would be the other thing is if you could, with the exception, I think of Hawaii, um, to take, you know, a squirrel out of every state in the 49 you know, is that your next, uh, your I, next I, goal? I, I, well, I think I'll work on that over time, you know, to, to, <laughs> to be able to hunt a squirrel in every single one of the states because they're available. I mean, that's, yeah. yep. that to me, you know, elk isn't available in every state, yeah. you know, white-tailed deer don't earn in every state necessarily yeah. and mule deer. I mean, it's, that's, I, that's why I kind of like one common thread. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, and it's, wow. and it's more of a, a of the, it's affordable. It's, it's kind of the work, you know, you can get a rabbit in every state you can, yeah. you know, or a jackrabbit or, you know, as you kind of go along, but yeah, squirrels are kind of universal. You're just switching species. Wow. And all right. So that next squirrel that is sounding the alarm on me. So I'm, I'm going to eat that here, squirrel. Here's, and he, <laughs> yeah. So here's what I've, here's what I've told. Cause I get, uh, uh you know, with, with all my vast knowledge of squirrels, here's what mm -hmm. I tell elk and deer hunters. Cause they're always like, I hate those squirrels, man. And they're hiding. And, and all of a sudden it's barking at me, you know, warning the, the deer, or the elk and all that stuff. I said, I said, you missed it. They're like, what I miss? I said, that's the universe telling you you're hunting the wrong species. <laughs> like, it's been trying to tell you this whole time. Why do you think the squirrels have been, in, you need to be hunting the squirrels, not, not the, the squirrel, deer, not you know? The deer yeah. Like, why do you think they've been yelling at you? The universe is telling you something, you're missing it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I discovered it. I figured it out. It took me a number of years to get there, but, you know. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I, I, I think... It, you know, I, I, I tend to be more of a generalist hunter and all I'm, I'm always interested in kind of that experience and whatever yeah. else, but yes, yeah, I think for a long time, squirrels will just hold a, a special place in my heart. <laughs> um, squirrels and rabbits for sure. They, they, they're two of the, the fun mammals to, yeah. to chase around. Um, and mostly That's because great. there's so much miss and bad information about, you know, them in general. Um, and it, food quality, I mean, disease, parasite ridden, all others. I mean, squirrels are, are one thing like, you know, because they're related to rodents, people have this like innate fear of the, the rat issue and, <laughs> yeah. and all yeah. other stuff. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's absolutely tremendous to me, but it's almost insurmountable to try and convince people that, you know, like, okay, you've heard all these horror stories, but they're actually like really good to eat, you yeah. know, oh, if you I can get past the psychological squirrel. issue and, and all other stuff. So. Um, 
And there's, you know, there's definitely some <laughs> tricks and, and things that you get, you got to know much, much like any, you know, thing you're cooking. There's, there's yeah. some techniques and tricks you need to know about them first, but huh. um, right. squirrel can be tough. Some can, some, some are better than others. Um, <laughs> you know. What's your favorite way to cook or prepare a squirrel? Uh, I, I would have to say uh, my favorite has always been the, the green chili squirrel enchiladas that I made for that, that first world championship squirrel cook off like that was hmm. that was my favorite dish um that i made with them and and, and all i've cooked them a lot of different ways after mm -hmm. that and and I, I love going to that so unlike here you know like with bha and the, and the things that we're doing everyone's bringing ingredients from their states so you're you're seeing this plethora mm -hmm. of of foods and and everything else but like you know at squirrel cook off it's all squirrel and so you get to see squirrels showcased in many wow. different ways Many um, different ways. Oh, oh yeah. many, many, like, yeah, the squirrel pizza, squirrel sushi, squirrel, I mean, like, you, you, like it's it's all over the place. I just so. got a picture of a whole squirrel wrapped <laughs> in a sushi roll. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, so th to me, like, that's where I like the, the single species yeah. um, uh, cook-offs and all that other stuff, you know, it's, it's, because uh, it, it really elevates, because you just see it, um, you know, on full display and, and yeah. everyone's kind of different take on it and stuff where, you know, here it's like I'm cooking last night. The guy behind me was cooking the, the, uh, uh the lionfish, which was incredible. Mm. Um, you know, from Florida and stuff like that, that yeah. is an invasive species. I was like going, you yeah. know, so here I am cooking Sandhill crane next to a guy cooking, you know, lionfish. And then we have elk over here next to me and, and you know, what was going on in the building. I mean, yeah. like there was just a ton Wild of stuff for from, uh, beaver tail to, yeah. Yeah, variety of things. Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully the diners got a, I mean, a, a, all definitely a different and diverse experience mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. Oh. But yeah, then when, then when you go to like, much like the State Cook-Off Association, you know, like you're, you're comparing, you know, however many ribeyes, you know, <laughs> the judges have oh, to go hi. through. So it's all ribeye. Yep. It's just, you know, who's got the best talent and, and whatever. Yeah. But, and, and of course, I think you're limited a little bit even there because it's, it's all just steak. But, yep. you know, at this one, it's like, here's the meat. It's, it's almost like a, like a demented version of Chopped. <laughs> like, you know, the Chopped cooking show. Like, here's Squirrel. Yep. Figure it out, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and so everyone has their own take on it, you know, instead cool. of just, you know, as you were talking, the grill marks or lack thereof yep. on a steak. Yep. Um, so, uh, cool. yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. But, um, well, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm super excited to, like, get this birch barrel, like, full of some mesquite wood down in, in Arizona. And, and I'm going to have to, I don't know. I got to, I got to figure out how to maybe go out and, and get a coos deer, a mule deer so I can do the flip flop. Yeah. Mess squirrel with leg. You could sure. use a squirrel leg. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I, I th yeah. Sit there with a razor blade and, oh and just gosh. take little small edges off. I'd look like, I'd look like that scene where, that from the incredible. Godfather where they're making the, 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 the thin sliced garlic for the, the <laughs> partner with Sam Soho. You guys yeah. should do a parody or some kind of fun. Oh, oh completely. Oh, completely. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think you'd have a blast. And I can connect you with Andy Mokel too. I think it'd be neat to connect you and Andy to just chat about the flip-flop. Yeah, I, I, to me, like I said, that, to me, that's just kind of exciting to... Mm -hmm. to um, uh, that was one of the, the interesting ways I was like, but yeah, like I got I to gotta figure out how to get a whole leg now and, and yeah. do this method and all that <laughs> stuff. And, Good. Um, and, and certainly, I... I, for, I probably one of the things that I, I really overlooked in the whole aspect of, of talking about the birch barrel and all other stuff is, is, uh, 
the ability to have fire where it's off the ground. I'm not worried about, you know, starting fire. Mm -hmm. um, certainly out in the dry Arizona desert and, and all those things and, and, you know, being out there. And then that double wall construction where it's cool to the touch on the outside and you're not, you know, yeah, that's torching great. yourself. Yeah. And, and It's warm. I don't want to say cool, but... Yeah, yes, well, it's not hot. It's not going to melt your puffy jacket when you touch right. it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and usually usually at a lot of the the outdoor activities that I've got there in Arizona, it's it's uh, uh, there's dogs around yep. the campfire uh, a lot of times. Yeah. They're, they're looking for heat, and <laughs> yep. you know, I mean, I could imagine one of them just sticking their nose up against that. You know, if it, if it didn't have that dumb wall construction, oh just yeah. Kind of yeah, totally scorching we, the, yeah. the. We've got a lot of pictures of dogs laying underneath it. Yeah. Because the radiant heat that comes from it, and they're totally safe. They just yeah. like to hang out underneath it. Yeah. Well, more. and you know, a, a bird dog's nose is is everything. <laughs> so yeah. Like, don't do that. Very important. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 there's a there's a lot of cool qualities to it. I, I you know it's 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 a it's a way cool product. Appreciate um, that. But it's been yeah. it's been absolutely fun hanging out with you guys. You too. Thank um, you. I know this is, Jamie admitted that, that this was her first podcast, and so she was she was a little nervous, <laughs> but she did fantastic. You did great. <laughs> Thanks. What's great is like, I don't know, this is like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, my buddy Tyler says that I should have professional podcast guests on my business card because of how many podcasts I'm on. This is the first time I'm on this side of the microphone, so I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> You're doing great. So, so, it's, so it's, it's good. You're it's asking good that questions. This is your first one. It's good that this is your first one. I'm glad it's with you, John. Yeah, I, I'm like, I don't have any rules at this point because I've never done podcasts before other than being on your side of the microphone. Yeah. So like, you know, perfect. Cool. Yeah, I'm just, no. I'm like, I'm just winging it as it goes. I'll, I'll, I, well, to thanks. the audience, I, I promise that hopefully I'll get better um, as time goes That's along and, and more polished. But um, so I apologize for any of my my no, the stories and you know I just getting fun, to know so you and i hope it's the great, listeners so. have fun today yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah me too. well um guys go out so it was it's uh birchbarrel.com right yep b-u-r-c-h not b-i-r-c-h like yep. the tree yep. um but uh b-r-c-h um barrel.com yeah um and and i would highly suggest uh for you folks as well check out their youtube channel uh, you'll see Corey, you'll see Jamie on there. The, they're, they're cooking, they're making recipes. Like I got to talk to, to, uh, um, these guys after the show. Cause, cause I'm interested in, in some of the other ones that they were doing. There were some, uh, the pizza was, was looking pretty good. And I got to understand this pizza stone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the yeah. Wood fire pizza. Yeah, I like that turned out great. I love a calzone. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, I'll, you know, guilty pleasure here, but I'll just go to one of those, you know, take and bake pizza shops and I'll get a pizza <laughs> and I'll f fold it in half, <laughs> pinch off the ends. Uh, and don't, I, I won't use a pizza stone. I'll just kind of offset my wood fire yeah. uh, to one side of the coal pan and I'll put the calzone on the other side. Right on the grill. Uh, right on the grill. And, you know, that high heat that you get where it's just super crusty, crunchy on the outside, but very gooey on the inside. That's it. Cinnamon <laughs> rolls are really good as well. Oh, I bet. You get the same same texture uh, with cinnamon rolls. Yeah, and that bread oh, and wood fire. Wood fire. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, you're already making me hungry. Like I said, so let's you, go eat. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, you yeah, folks out there. Uh, I, like I said, I encourage you go to their website, check them out, go to the YouTube channel. There's there's a lot of stuff there. Um, guys have a really great product, and and uh, I. I've, I've directly tasted from from the the originators here. It's uh, <laughs> uh, 
they have made some amazing, amazing food in the last couple of days. So um, if you get a chance, check them out. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Let's uh, yeah, it. let's let's go eat and get back to to some of the fun things this afternoon. So let's yeah. do um, it. Yeah, <laughs> whiskey and there's a whiskey. Whiskey night and wine tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll yeah. be. On the barrels tonight, so. Well, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, now you got me all intrigued, so this might be my first <laughs> time for a wild dog, too, so. Like, <laughs> I'll have to try a little taste of that wolf, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll I'm excited see. for that. I've got a strategy. We'll see if it comes to fruition. I, yeah. I'll, I'll eat it either way. All right, good. That sounds good. Yeah, for sure. There, is, there isn't much that I probably would do. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> At least once or twice. We'll learn together on yes. this one. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, thanks, folks. Thank uh, you. Again, from the back burner, we'll talk to you soon.